Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, Blog Talk Get started. All right, welcome to another episode of uh, Hoop Talks Live, brought to you by BackSportsPage.com. My name is Randy Zellia, and of course, we're always with me, the man behind the microphone, the man behind the pen, the man behind the laptop, the man behind the force, and the man who's uh, hiding behind Mark Hamill so he can use the force, that's Bill Ingram. Bill, how are you, my friend? <laughs> you just went extremely old school with that uh, intro music there. <laughs> Was that from I, I, the I told you 94 NBA playoffs? <laughs> I, I just figured, I told you right before we went on that you were going to laugh when you heard it. I'm, I'm pretty sure that you were smirking when I, when I played it. <laughs> oh, for sure. So yeah. that, was like, that, was, that was like the best NBA opening ever. Like, I think that was the one that was the most recognizable with the NBA for all those years. So, yeah, for I sure. I just sort of felt, and I just felt like since we're going back in time, that was the song to play for today. So I just figured you We're I going 88 miles per hour. The moment the time <laughs> machine hits 88 miles per hour. Yeah, that's right. You're not thinking fourth dimensional, no, Randy. <laughs> Actually, what I was thinking was when I heard that music is you hear Marv Emmerich go, and here we are in Seattle for Denver. Yeah. Seattle for the. <laughs> oh, my two brain fell off. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'll, I'll the second you worst two K in the history of the world, I think. And I think Mike Fratello is number one. <laughs> no, no, Donald Trump number one for sure. Uh, there's not even it's, there's a distance between him and. <laughs> but I'll give you Fratello at number three. Okay, I'll get. Thank you. I appreciate that. So uh, this week's topic, like uh, first off, before we jump into it, Bill Ingram and I always can be found at BackSportsPage.com. Listen to all our archive episodes where we break down such great topics as the 1996 NBA draft, the NBA slam dunk contest, the trade that sent Clyde directly to Houston, and much more. And like I said, today we're going back to one of the most iconic first-round playoff series, 1994, the, the eight-seeded Denver Nuggets versus the number one seed Seattle Supersonics in the NBA first round, which was considered one of the greatest upsets in NBA history, uh, NBA playoff yeah, history. the first. Uh, the yeah, first one. It, it, was, it was one of the – and before we really get too into it, before we start getting into the background, let's really quickly dive into last week's episode to get some reaction. Bill, did you get any feedback from the 1996 NBA draft episode? The feedback I got was people forgot how deep. Everybody wants to talk about the Jordan draft 
you know, but when you realize how many players, uh, like one of the guys we talked about was Ben Wallace, you know, NBA champion picked in the middle of the second round, uh, the hidden gems and the depth of the draft back then, as compared to now, where if you got, you know, a serviceable player at 10, you did pretty well. So, uh, yeah, that's just a different, um, it's a different era. Uh, players, I think, of course, they were older. Many of them were older coming into the NBA. And uh, so there were a lot of factors that played into it. But the number one thing I heard was, man, I forgot how deep that, <laughs> you know, even middle of the second draft, you get all-stars. Yeah, it was, it was a little, it was very crazy. Like you had guys like Jermaine O'Neal at 17. You had Steve Nash going a little lower than the top 10. You had Kobe Bryant at 14. Peja Stoyakovich, and you had guys in the second round who were contributors for a lot of years, like Malik Rose. So it, 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 some of the feedback yep. that I received on it was, it was people didn't realize you don't look, you don't, you couldn't even tell on how deep that draft was. So it was a very, very special draft, and we'll probably do another one or two draft shows over the next couple of weeks, um, as we as we get full full uh, full speed into the season. And uh, I actually had a request for two draft classes we should be doing. One was the Jordan class, and then the other oh, yeah. was the LeBron class. I call that the Elijah the one LeBron. class, but, you know, you can call it the Jordan class if you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I think that's pretty uh, – I think that's actually pretty accurate. Um, so let's give a little bit of – I have um, a guest in studio here. who is dying to say hello, Randy. Hang on just a second. This is my, my special yeah. in-studio guest, my daughter Riley, who's very insistent on <laughs> saying hi to everybody, so – Hi, basketball world. Okay, now she decided to take a drink before she did it, so her shot uh, came and went. Oh, okay. she's ready. I understand. Okay. Oh. Don't take a drink this time. <laughs> Hi. Okay. Hello, Riley. Usually she's very dramatic Please. and productive, and this time she just went with the <laughs> So Okay. Anyway, you were saying. <laughs> On with the she show. Is the pre- the princess of great adventure. That's what we like to call her. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So let's 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 give a little bit of a background here. Uh, the the NBA playoffs seeded one through eight always the top record number one seed, eighth seed is always the lowest seed in that conference. Um, really, at this point, had never had the the upset. Never had the you know, the teams would end up playing towards their, you know, their strength. Obviously, if you're a 60-win team and you're playing a 42-win team, nine out of ten times that top seed's going to win. Well, 1994 yep. in the Western Conference was a stunning time. We had this, the number one seeded Seattle Supersonics versus the Denver Nuggets, which in the Sonics, who had the best regular season record, and, of course, the 93-94 NBA playoffs – the NBA Finals culminated in the in the Houston Rockets winning the NBA championship. So I remember it well. First, <laughs> yes, I still had my champagne bottle that I opened uh, to celebrate the Rockets' first ever championship. Well, because you you know, like we were discussing before, if you look at it. Seattle Seattle had the best record in the league. The Rockets were the two seed. Uh, 
Seattle was the top seed in the Western Conference. Houston, two. The Phoenix Suns, three. San Antonio, four. Utah, five. Golden State, six. Portland, seven. And Denver, eight. You look at this conference, it almost felt like the first six seeds, maybe even the top seven seeds, they were just very interchangeable at the time because Seattle, Gary Payton, Kendall, well, we talked about Kendall Gill, but uh, off, off air. Uh, Kendall Gill, who was a very impactful player for Charlotte, especially the year before during their first round of the upset series against the Boston Celtics, very big contributor, traded over to Seattle during the offseason for Dana Barrows and Eddie Johnson, 16 points per game guy coming over to Seattle, so that helped elevate them to number one seed. So you have a lot of key players on there. You have Sean Camp, Kendall Gill, Gary Payton, Nate McMillan, uh, Sam Perkins, Nate Ricky McMillan. Pierce, Detlef Schrepp. Yeah, that was a, a yeah yeah. Here, here's their that was a roster. heck of a team. Detlef, <laughs> and I'm going to ask you about some guys so you can maybe fill in the blanks. Uh, we'll have some fun with this too, <laughs> but uh, we'll have Vincent Askew was on this team, who's a very solid contributor for many years in the NBA. Never found himself without a job. Uh, Michael Cage, <laughs> who was a wily veteran in this league. Kendall Gill, mm-hmm. who we just spoke about. Uh, I, I was talking to Gary A. from the NBA show, and every single time we were talking about the Sonics, this name came up. And we always had to say, no, not that one. But Ir- Spencer Irvin Johnson, no, not that one. Oh, the yeah. The other one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the big man uh, who was big man. never great, big but, man always, but did, you know, he was solid. You had Sean Kemp, and you and I are going to have a disagreement about Sean Kemp in, in a few minutes. But uh, Chris King, <laughs> Rich King, Nate McMillan, Gary Payton, the big man, Sam Perkins, Ricky Pierce, Steve Schiffer, and Detlef Schrempf. Now, Bill, if I, if I said to you about Chris King, Rich King, Steve Schiffer, if I had to ask you some of your, their finer moments in the NBA, would you have one for me or is just us mentioning yeah, their names Yeah, it was the right year now, they helped the Seattle Supersonics be, uh, lose to the number eight Denver Nuggets. <laughs> in the. <laughs> well, I'm sure it, they contributed to the way. loss as much as anyone. <laughs> well, what, it was, what was really interesting about this roster, too, it, it seems pretty balanced. But, like, Sean Kemp, Sean Kemp was a guy at that time. He was a lot of highlights. You know, you turn on Sports Center, you're watching a lot of alley oops. He's dunking a lot, but as far as developing an all-around game, he was not what we like to call a guy. You have to. He's not going to win or lose you games. Nope. But when you have Gary Payton on your team, he's the one that's going to win and lose you games. The thing I liked about Kemp, Guys, uh, as much as I I could say that I liked a player who didn't play for the Rockets or Blazers at that time, which I didn't. But I guess I should say the thing that in retrospect, I appreciate about Sean Kemp is that he was a fierce competitor. And in the prime of his career, he was, he was going to get you 20 and 10. Uh, He would pass the ball. It wasn't a, wasn't his first or second choice, but he would, he'd defend, uh, you know, he'd always going to get you a steal block shot or two, just a, a, a beast to contend with if you're the opposition. And I think as much as Stockton and Malone sort of define that, point guard, power forward, one-two punch. Peyton and Kemp were right there behind them. I mean, those guys were, you know, not for nearly as long, of course, 
uh, Stockton and Malone play, seemed like they played like 30 years. But when they when Peyton and Kemp were in their primes together, they were a force. My biggest problem with Kemp, and it's one of the reasons why I felt he became so expendable when they moved him to Cleveland, and his biggest problem with Cleveland, and Mike Fratello had told me this multiple times, like, well, it's not say off the record, but he told me to me privately, was Sean Kemp just didn't have a, a game outside of the paint. As soon as, especially yeah. when he was getting older in this league, he just was not versatile enough to be, continue to be a force. And he obviously after Cleveland, he played a few more years, ended up in Orlando. That's where he finished his career. But Sean Kemp. Yeah, in Portland. Uh, yeah, but he wasn't, he wasn't much of a factor. He wasn't, yeah, he was just not a guy. He was not a 20-point-per-game guy. He was not a guy like Malone who can get his own points. He needed to be set up in the right way. He, again, if you had to look for a modern-day guy in the early part of the 2000s, I, I look at him and Kenyon Martin as a, a similar guys where offensively yeah. they need to be put in positions to be – and I love Kenyon. Kenyon's one of the one of the nicest dudes, best dudes we know. But totally. offensively, yep. as far as cre- creating your own offense is not their strength. Rebounding, blocking shots, running the floor, and being set up by your point guard is the – game that Sean Kemp had for himself. And I think that be, that's that, right. the later part of his career became his downfall. So that's just, again, how I feel. I'm not trying to slam him. He was one of the most exciting, versatile players in the NBA in the early 90s. But that went away. I felt that went away in the, the marriage and the love affair with Seattle ended during his poor performance during the NBA Finals against the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, that could be. That could very well be. Uh, and that's a, the rest of the, there. You're playing against a, a power forward who could do all those things. <laughs> you know, you, you had to guard Horace yeah. Grant everywhere on the court, pretty much. So, and if you confused him for Horace, Harvey Grant, you had to guard him in the three point land too. So. <laughs> well, I think I think for that finals he had Rodman, but at the same time, though Rodman pretty much can put a glove on you and pretty much keep you from doing absolutely everything you want to do. Oh, that was, was you're right. You're defense. absolutely right. That was that was Dennis yeah. Rodman. Yep. Yeah, same deal. You're not but scoring even, on him. You're just not. And and not only that, but when, and I, this is not a Bulls episode by any means, but um, what also made the Bulls dangerous at that time is we were able to take Dennis out and put Tony and put Tony at the four, and that it made Sean go out to the perimeter to try to guard him out there, and that was just a disaster. Yeah, it was and funny. he couldn't. So that, yeah. yeah, he couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it. And. You know, so the rest of his roster, though, you know, guys like Kendall Gill, you, you've watched Kendall Gill, a very versatile player. He's not a guy who's going to dominate, but he's a, he is a guy who can yep. hit big shots and give you about 15 or 20 points a game. He's a, he's sure. a good number two, number three. No, sorry, number, I would say number three, number four option on the team. That's what Kendall was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Ricky no, in Pierce, Charlotte, he was, he was a good, you know, looked like he might have become a number one, but – that that never really materialized for him, but hey, man, he had, you know, he had a, about what about ten years where he was going to give you double figures and you know very very yeah. productive player uh, in the right situations. You had him in New Jersey. You know? Yeah, we had so. him in New Jersey. Um, first couple of games in New Jersey, averaged about twenty five points a game, then broke his hand. Um, came back yeah. and he was a very big contributor for a long time, and he ended up being with New Jersey all the way up until the year Jason King. Right before Jason Kidd got there, and then he, uh, his contract was up, and Rod Thorne wasn't interested. Um, they were getting Kerry Kittles back at that point, and yeah. 
They wanted to see they wanted to see what was what, and uh, Kendall went over to Chicago and played there for his final year, and then we uh, then retired. He had a, he, look, Kendall had a great career. Yeah. Some of the other yeah, he was so in Milwaukee. Some of the other guys, he, he played he played briefly in Milwaukee. His last <laughs> the end of his was, career. I think he uh, he didn't make it through the whole season though. I don't think. No, no, he only played. I forget ten, twelve games, something like that. I think you're being yeah, generous. I remember Kendall quite well. <laughs> that was a. <laughs> but no, the point being, that was a very that uh, Seattle team was very deep. I mean that that looked like a team. Really, both of these teams um, looked like if you if you were looking at the the players, the stats, that you would think that both of these teams were perennially, you know, great. Uh, and uh, my buddy Travis Heath, who was trying to join us on the call, but is he's got kids like I do, and and family interfered. He was covering the Nuggets for me with Hoops World for years, and he was at both of those, the two home games in Denver uh, during that series. And he said everybody in Denver was completely convinced that that team was going to be like uh, a uh, a franchise that was going to be dominant for years. And as we've seen happen, I mean, it happened with Seattle. Uh, It happened with Dominique's Hawks. Uh, You've got all the pieces. It looks like they should be and it, it just doesn't happen you know we see it time and time again and this is one of those times where denver never really did uh they were more of a flash in the pan even though we, we totally thought they'd be a sustained great team well just to give you the, the the overview i'll do the overview on both teams and i'll let you react the overview for seattle for the season they started off the season 26 and 3 and won 17 of their final 19 games and they finished with a franchise best and a league best 63 and 19 record. Obviously, the number one seed, uh, number one seed. That's a, that's a, you know, for that time frame for the competitiveness that was going on in the league. That's a great record, 63 and 19. And then even starting off the way they started off with that, you know, the 26 and three start. That's great. You know, that's you're setting yourself up to have to to, to be able to rest guys, especially now if. At that point, the NBA guys didn't rest. But no, this this <laughs> NBA, in this NBA, yes, you can get away with resting, guys with with a twenty three and uh, sorry twenty six and three start twenty nine and three start. So man, in the nineties you know, and the eighties too, somebody get hurt. Oh, he tore his ACL. Tape it. All right, get back out there. <laughs> yeah. there, there was no. Some, you didn't take games just off. Some, just throw some of LeBron's rosin on it and get right back out there. Come on, let's go. Yeah, Dominique um, <laughs> gets carried off the court in a stretcher in the first half and comes back and scores 20 in the second, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Different breed let's, of player. Real quick, really quick, let's go over to Denver real quick and t- let's examine what, who they were at that time, look at their overview of the season. Uh, let's look at their roster first. The captain of the team was Reggie Williams. They had a young Brian Williams. Brian Williams, who had a real tragic tragic ending in the NBA, he found he had he like found like monkhood when he was playing for Chicago, and then he ended up going missing, and they ended up finding his body. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that. That was one of those really sad yeah. situations. Um, they mm-hmm. had shooting guards. They had Brian Stiff, who was a solid contributor. Uh, they had a young rookie yeah. on the team by the name of Rodney Rogers. <laughs> if you remember Rodney, <laughs> who is now Rogers. coaching. Yeah, he's coaching for the uh, Chicago Bulls now. Yeah. I felt really bad about his accident. 
and mm-hmm. being uh, in the situation that he was in. Um, they had uh, an injury, a guard, Alvin Robertson, who's on the roster, missed the entire season due to a back injury. Alvin never really came back from that. Um, Mark Randall, you know, any, any favorite Mark Randall moments in the NBA there, Bill? It was uh, that year that they lost to the Seattle Supersonics in the – oh, yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I do have some really fun Robert Pack moments. I think I even have the – Yeah. You know, he was drafted by Portland, and I was in Oregon going to college, so everybody was was huge on Robert Pack, the Pac-Man, who was also an assistant coach, by the way. Uh, I think I have the Dairy Queen glass of Robert Pack, maybe. Because uh, Dairy Queen put out a set of blazer glasses every year. I know I have Uncle Cliffy. Uh, the first year they did it, they all looked like California raisins, and I was giving Terry Porter a hard time about that uh, when he was coaching <laughs> Milwaukee. And I was like, you know, I have your California raisin glass. He's like, oh, you mean those Dairy Queen glasses? Yeah. <laughs> so, but Pac-Man, I've I've got his rookie card. Even he was he was fun, man, and he had the the dunk of that series. He was great. I'll tell you what. He, had a crazy, he was crazy dunk. He was great in New Jersey. He was great in New Jersey too. You know, I got, I had the, the, the joy of watching him play on a very, very bad New Jersey team. He was pretty fun to watch. <laughs> uh, the, the man in the middle was, of course, the Cookie Monster himself, Dikembe Mutombo. Yep. <laughs> um, Dar, Darnell Me, Tom Hammonds, a guy who I, when I finally met him, I thought he was the coolest cat in the room. Lafonso Ellis, Kevin yeah. Brooks. And then Chris Jackson, formerly, or who became Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. Chris Jackson from LSU. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what's funny about Chris? I felt really bad that he got blackballed in the NBA because at the time he did something that was he so was one sensitive. one of the first ones to not – the whole kneeling or, you know, putting your hand over your heart, that, yeah. that whole thing that, you know, is now a big deal in the NFL for whatever reason. Like, okay, you know, freedom of speech. You know what that means? It means you have the yeah. freedom to cover your heart. Don't cover your heart. You know, whatever. Why is it a big deal? But yeah, that was, and he was a really good player too, uh, and could have, should have had a long NBA career. And just yeah, that people are weird. Yeah, look, just looking at the Nuggets season, they finished forty-two and forty. The team. Um, the team acquired Brian uh, Brian Williams from the Orlando Magic. The team acquired Alvin Robinson from the Detroit uh, Pistons for an exchange for Mark Macon and Marcus Liberty earlier in the season. Robertson did not play throughout the whole season like we discussed. They finished 42-40 and 40, made the playoffs for the first time in four years. Uh, they qualified as the number eight seed. Now let's talk about the actual series. Um, man, we got, you know, you and I had talked about this a little bit uh, during the week, and there's no reason why the Nuggets should have been in this in this series. They, game one, game one was never close. The Sonics jumped out to a 30 to 19 lead after the first quarter. This is coming from fan sided. They led 62-37 uh, at the half. Danny's Nuggets looked lost and out of their league. The Seattle crowd was loud and crazy, which made things even worse for the Nuggets. The Sonics rolled 106-82 to take game one in a 1-0 series lead. There's not really much we can talk about with that. It's just the guys were – it's just that to, to me, that Seattle team had playoff experience. May not have had a lot of playoff experience, but they had playoff experience. And yeah. Denver probably came out with, with zero headlights. Yep. That's right, because you when, you, when you've got a team that's got the top record and you're confident 
it's very much like another time that this scenario happened was when Dallas, when the Mavericks had the best record and lost, and they were the top seed, lost to Golden State in the eighth round, in the you know the eighth seed. The same kind of thing. You've got a team rolling, comes in confident, they look great at first, and then all of a sudden, like oh, <laughs> what the other team is hungry, maybe hungrier, scrappier, you know, fighting a little harder because the top seed can, and you see this all all season, every season, you'll see a great team lose to a horrible team. And it's just that, hey, we we came in confident, should have blown this team off the court. In this case, they did it twice. And then the other yeah. team kept coming. And sometimes you can't, after the counterpunch, you can't get back on top. In game one, uh, the Seattle Supersonics were led by Gary Payton, 20, 20.7 assists, four steals. Sean Kemp had 16 points. Detlish Shrimp, 21 points. Five boards, and they got 11 points from Vincent Askew and 13 points from Ricky Pierce. One name that we forgot to mention on Seattle's roster, who happens to be the coach of the Indiana Pacers right now, and that's Nate McMillan. He was very involved in this series as well. Denver in Game One, led by uh, I had two, led by uh, Bison Deal, 15 points off the bench, 12 apiece from Matumbo and Lafonso Ellis, and 11 points for Reggie Williams. Team. Team overall struggled from the field, uh, mightily only, you know, only shot 37% from the field. Whereas, yeah, so it's that's what Seattle it's just the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and 14,000. fought you for every inch of the court. You could not get by him. You could not get around him. He he looked like a catcher. His defensive stance was so low that he looked like a catcher out there trying to, somebody's going to throw him a baseball, but he's crouched down and you just, man, that, that guy was crazy good. Well, game, game two was not as bad as the route. The Nuggets still looked like they could be in big trouble. Sonics jumped out to an early lead, had control of the game. Seattle took a commanding 2-0 lead, 97-87. Lafonso Ellis put in 18 points. Mutombo 14. Sorry, Lafonso Ellis had a double-double, 18 and 10 boards. 14 points, 18 boards, and five block shots for Dikembe Mutombo. 17 points from Rodney Rogers off the bench. Mahmoud Agurouf chipped in for uh, 15 points. Uh, Seattle was led by Sean Kemp. Was that, I'm sorry, was led by Gary Payton again. Gary Payton. 18 yeah. points. 18 points, four assists, six boards. Sean Kemp, 13 points, 12 boards, seven of them offensive. Six assists, four blocks. <laughs> yeah, four blocks from Sean Kemp, 15 points for, uh, for Detlef Shrimp, and 12 apiece for Sam Perkins and Ricky Pierce coming off the bench. You know, I guess when Seattle moved to Key Arena, that when that place was filled, it was one of the loudest arenas in the NBA. Definitely. So – yeah, it was until it, was it fell apart when they decided not to build a new arena and the team left. <laughs> Do you think there'll ever be another team in Seattle again? Well, I know there's a lot of talk about that, and you know, like there's talk about St. Louis. St. Louis is one of the. I mean, that place is insane. They talk about sports uh, nuts for sports. Uh, it's a great place for for a professional team. But the issue is, are you going to move a team there? Because one thing I definitely am not in favor of is more expansion. 
there is not enough elite talent in the world, I suppose, for 30 NBA teams to all be competitive. You've got enough for each team to have one guy, but that's not what we have. They all want to group together, and so you have a bunch of teams. More so, The West will be much different this year. There will be eight extremely competitive teams. But then at the expense of the East, I mean, you're going to have maybe three good teams in the East and a bunch of other teams that are losing night in and night out in games that are not close. Uh, and I just think another expansion would be dreadful. As much as I think, yeah, Seattle should have it, you know, they'd be great to have a team there again. And St. Louis it would be great with an NBA team. But and not, in, not if it's going to be an expansion, that would be, I'd hate to see that. Game three, we move over to we move over to Denver, and just so you know, in, in the house that night, seventeen thousand one hundred seventy-one. It is a sellout in Denver mm-hmm. that night, and before Game Three, they Denver shellacked like Seattle in the first quarter. <laughs> yeah, forty. Yeah, Elway came quarter. out. That's right. Yeah, John Elway. <laughs> the at the time has suffered a plenty of playoff. Hardick himself rallied the crowd before the game with Elway's classic, let's get ready to Mutombo. The crowd was uh, whipped into a frenzy, and the Nuggets fed off of it. Denver played their best game of the series and scored a crazy 41 points in the first quarter to take a 15-point lead after the one. The Sonics tried to fight back, but never really got close. The Nuggets rolled to a 110-93 win at McNichols Sports Arena. And, Bill, if you look at the box score, Sean Kemp gave you 10 points, but only three boards. A key thing is keeping him off the block. 18 points for Detlef Shrub, 15 points for Kendall Gill. It was the first game that Gary Payton did not even get reached double digits. He only took six shots. And they got 17 points off the board, uh, or sorry, off the bench for Sam Perkins. From Denver's side, he received 31 points from Reggie Williams. I bet you if uh, – if I had to bet you a dollar and I said, who's going to lead you in that game three <laughs> to get you back in the series, I'm pretty sure that Reggie Williams was not your choice. 19 points That's from the game that Reggie Dumbo. Williams has uh, on, his, on the wall in his house. 31 points, yes. <laughs> 11 of 16 from the field, eight assists, six rebounds. Like, here's my NBA career, this box score right here. <laughs> yep, it is true. LaFonso Ellis, two for seven from the field, only gave you four points. Uh, but in 43 minutes, Brian Stiff, his best game as a pro, 12 points. Mahmoud Abdul-Roof, 10 points, but only three for eight shooting. Rodney Rogers, 15 points off the bench. And your boy, the Pac-Man, 24 minutes, 11 points. And, of course, seven assists, but also gave you seven turnovers. Not the best ratio there. <laughs> uh, so, you know, again, that's the game where you have to come up big. You know, I think yeah. that's a statement game in – you know, what do they always say about a playoff series? The series doesn't really start until the away team wins on the road. So That's right. Right, right now, Denver's just doing what they're supposed to do, holding, holding court. Game four was a hard-fought battle. The first quarter ended with the Seattle Supersonics of 17-13, to 13, not, not resetting the game of one of the worst offensive quarters <laughs> in league history, but we were close. <laughs> Matumbo, who was, Matumbo, who was dominant in the series, had eight blocks in the win. LaFonso Ellis, also the big star for the Nuggets during game four, registered 27 points after only a terrible game uh, three, 
27 points and 17 boards. The Nuggets had forced the game five back to Seattle, but no one believed that the Nuggets can pull off a win after the first two games. Looking back at the box score at game four, Sean Kemp, you know, I, I, I slammed him before, and I really didn't mean to, but this is not a bad stat line for him. Seven or 15 from the field, 16 points, 13 boards. Today in the NBA, you would love to have a guy who can do that. Um, Gary Payton, Absolutely. 20 points, four assists. Yeah, 20 points, four assists. Detlef Schrimp, 20 points. Kendall Gill chipped in with 10. Vincent Askey with nine points off the bench. At this point in time, when you, what you remember about the Seattle team, I felt like, yes, you're getting points from Kemp, but you were just not getting anything from that center position. At that point in time, I would have, just, just me, I probably would have moved Sean Kemp into the center position and gone with a four, you know, put a two small forward set. In today's NBA, that makes sense. And you can basically uh, start mix matching. But at that point in time, you're just getting nothing from your center position. This, yeah. So and this maybe was an you overtime hope that in that case, you know, you're counting on Sam Perkins when he's open to knock down threes. That was his whole career. And he didn't, he was 0 for 7 in that game, 0 for 3 from 3. And you make the adjustment you're talking about. And perhaps Perkins is your starter at power forward and, you know, now look at all the, the three-point shooting around Kemp. Everybody has to sink in like they had to do with Olajuwon, uh, and then he just handpicks who's shooting the open three. So, yeah, you wonder. That's modern-day thinking on a in a context of, an, <laughs> of a time when the league didn't yeah, do that very much. <laughs> well, well, not only that, too, but, you know, people forget, too, game four was an overtime game. And Denver, with all this, all this firepower that Seattle has, Denver outscores them only 12 to 3. So you're telling me this yeah. Seattle offense can only muster three points in overtime? Yeah. I have a hard time with that. I have a real, real hard time with that. Let me blame the question here. Gary Payton at this type of time, you know, Gary became one of the more um, outspoken members of the NBA community. Around around sure. this time, do you think some of that and is still the all time leader in trash talking too? <laughs> That's very true. Do you do you think at that point in time, uh, Gary was able to get away a little bit more? A because a we didn't have social media, but B he was in Seattle, and it wasn't trash talking wasn't such a thing that was circled in because you had star power. You know, I don't think Gary Payton had enough on his resume for it to warrant any type of real seriousness. I don't know. Did you feel that? And talk to us around that time, because this is when you first were coming into the league. Talk to me about Gary Payton and what kind of reputation he had and how he was like in the locker room. Yeah, no, Gary was, I mean, and you're, you bring up an important point, which is that this is a time where media was basically your beat writer or maybe beat writers, you know, two or three people were in the locker room. You didn't have a massive number of people. So you could craft your message a little better. Um, You could control that environment a little better. And beat writers, I have always felt and continue to feel that your beat writer is more protective of the reputation of the player, the players that they cover, because they have to be, because it's their guy. You know, you have to have their back 
and then you need them to give you what you need to do your job too. So it's kind of a symbiotic relationship. In the modern NBA, that's not the case at all. You got Joe Blow Blogger from BlowBlow.com and BleacherReport.com and whatever blah blah blah.com, and all these guys are just waiting to find something negative to write so they can tweet it out and get a bunch of page views. And you know, I I think Gary Payton would have had a hard time in an era like that. Uh, you know, Rondo might be the closest not in terms of game. Peyton was a much better player, much more consistently. But in terms of sort of personality, kind of abrasive, kind of, uh, you know, although Peyton would speak his mind. <laughs> you, you didn't have to wonder no. what he was thinking about anything. But I think in the modern NBA, he struggles with his image, honestly. Unless, I mean, then you say, well, he probably would have grown up differently and adjusted. and You know, you can always say that. But the modern NBA offers challenges in dealing with the press that it didn't exist so much back then. How was Sean Kemp in the locker room at that point in time? I I was in the locker room on the real tail end of his career, and he wouldn't do one-on-ones or anything else at that point. I got got him when he was in Orlando right on that tail tail end. Um, Yeah. How was Sean Kemp in the locker room? Like you, I didn't. I wasn't there. I was a kid, really. <laughs> when when this series happened, I was a kid. I was, you know, I what was like. I was three years out of high school. I was in college. So right. uh, by the time I was credentialed, he was no longer. I want to say he was in Cleveland uh, when we finally. He was, he was no longer got relevant. Enough. He wasn't relevant. Yeah, he wasn't relevant, and I I can't honestly say that I remember talking to him. Um, I may have, but he was, but by the time, of course, when you're first starting out, you're not, you're just trying to talk to the names and feel your way through the process of, of what you're doing. In my case, you know, building a brand and you're trying to get with the big names and Kemp was not at that time. And now I'm much more interested in the guys that are kind of still around that you can hook up with. At that time, I was not. So even if I was in a locker room with Kemp, I don't remember talking to him specifically. Devlin Shrip, I think we always forget. We talk about like Saranis Marshallones and Drazen Petrovic, Tony <laughs> Fukoc, Dino Raja being the, the imports that came over. Page, well, I'm yeah. talking about for this time frame. For this time frame, we always well, yeah, talk about yeah, yeah. Dino Raj, Tony, Tony Kukoc. Uh, we always seem to forget about Detlef Schrempf and the international flavor that he had and what he was bringing to the game at this time, whether he was on Indiana, whether he was on Seattle, whether he was on Portland. We all seem to forget the contributions he's made to the game. Um, were you when you broke in for covering the league? Was Detlef still around, and did you ever ever had any interaction with him? Detlef was still around, and I do remember talking to him. And he was always, to me, he was always great. If you you know, he would uh, talk to you. He was very friendly. Um, of course, the greatest German player to ever play in the NBA until uh, our guy <laughs> that just retired, Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, and Dirk grew up watching him play. So, And I heard Dirk speak about Detlef on more than one occasion. 
because of that, because, you know, who's, who was the player that you looked up to? And that was Detlef, you know, because no other German had been in the league before that. So, uh, yeah, I remember him much more vividly. Uh, and he was always somebody that was, was giving of his time. He also played in Dallas. He started his career in Dallas. So, uh, yeah, I remember watching him when I was growing up. The Mavericks were the big rivals for the Rockets, and I remember vividly <laughs> I knew him well from in terms of watching. Uh, I had a very good game, and then I I did enjoy watching that Indiana team that was so good with him there. So uh, by the time he was in Seattle, I was – I already knew, you know, I'd been following him to the extent that I followed anybody not in Houston or Portland, for sure. And the last one I'll throw at you from the Denver side, uh, I had interactions with him, especially when he was here in New Jersey. Uh, how about Dick Henry Mutombo? <laughs> now, Mutombo I know quite well. <laughs> Obviously, he played forever, and he was in Houston at the end of his career, and you're always, I would talk to him and, and we'd do video with him and uh, he was backing up Yao and really working closely with Yao. Uh, maybe not as much as Akeem did, but he was definitely a force. And you had to have, the thing that amazed me, uh, Matumbo, was that with Yao being injured all the time, you, the Rockets needed a lot from him at a time in his career when most players are sort of there to be moral support, you know, uh, and Matumbo stepped up always. He was always a big game player, a big situation player, even when he was 85 years old, you know, with the Rockets. And, uh, so I did, I spoke to him many times when you could make out what he was saying, he was very insightful. He gave you good answers. And the thing I'm always looking for is who can give me a perspective, uh, that I'm not thinking about. And Matumbo would do that, you know, as well as anybody. I mean, Shane Battier, Kobe, a lot of guys that, that are so in tune. To, uh, Kendrick Perkins is another one. Guys that are so in tune to the league and the game that they can give you something. You know, like a lot of times you go into an interview and you're asking a question that you pretty much already know the answer to, but you need the player to say it instead of you saying it, you know, <laughs> so that when the – Comment section goes crazy. Oh, I can't believe you said da 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 da. Like, I, I didn't say it. Kobe said it. I'm just telling you what he told me. So if you want to argue with Kobe, here's his Twitter. <laughs> you know, but I loved talking to those guys uh, like Matumbo, who would give you, you know, you didn't necessarily know. He'd give you something you weren't expecting. Uh, and I, I understand he's still that way. Well, let's let's get to it. You know, the, the game. You know, this was the game that. Uh, that it happened for the, the, the final game of the series. Game five, back to Seattle. Again, sellout crowd, 14,813. I guess we'll, 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 we'll give the referees some love here. Dick Bavetta, Jess Kersey, Jack Neese, the officials. And it was an overtime classic, and it was one that nobody really saw coming. You know, uh, you know, courtesy of um, no, you're expect you're expecting them to go back to Seattle and for the Sonics to just shellac Denver like they did in the first yeah. game. Yeah, you know. the, 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 the but Seattle, Seattle was on the mat and they didn't get up. Yeah, neither game one or or two was close in Seattle, so they you know they were very confident. They the game was close from the beginning, but Tumbo was once again an unreal force in the paint. High flyers like Kemp and Kendall Gill wanted to do 
wanted to do with they wanted nothing to do with the big man in the middle. The unsung heroes of the game was definitely Robert Pack and Beast and Deal, who both came off the bench for the Nuggets with Shine. Pack led all scores with 27, which you were discussing earlier. Uh, and Dill, or Brian Williams, as he called back then, had 17 points, 19 boards. Both were pivotal in the probable Game 5 win. The stressful game went to overtime for the second straight time. No one thought the Nuggets would be this close, and now they had a chance to win the series. Denver was up two with about five seconds to go, but Seattle tied the game on a gill putback that sent the game into overtime. Matumbo continued his dominance in overtime, and the Nuggets became the first number eight seed to upset the number one seed in NBA history with a 98-94 win in game five. The Nuggets center finished with a five-game series with 31 blocks. The lasting image of the series, the lasting image of the series will always be Matumbo on the ground holding up the ball screaming for joy after Denver pulled the upset. You still see that in playoff reels. Yeah, you still. As, you know, when you're watching the playoffs, now, you, you in the intro, you, you'll you still see that shot. Now, you're close with Matumbo George Carl. kissing the ball. Have you, <laughs> you're, you're close with George Carl. Did George, did you ever talk to George Carl about this? Um, I don't know. We mostly talked about Denver. This, it may have come up. Um, but I think you try not to bring back horror stories, <laughs> you know, like, um, but I know that that experience is what led George to be, uh, he was always one of the top coaches, I think, you know, in as much as Pat Riley and Popovich will get the nod ahead of him and maybe Jerry Sloan. I think George Carl was one of the underestimated coaches, uh, during his career. And I did, I got to know him quite well when he was coaching the Nuggets. We saw them a lot. Uh, my, my very good friend, Travis Heath, was covering the Nuggets for us, and he got really close with George. And so he, we were always kind of giving Travis a hard time back and forth. He'd be, like, he'd be like, hey, have you seen Travis lately? I'm like, well, no, you've been on the road. You know, just, just kind of shooting the crap. I did, I did get to know George pretty well. And I think that uh, that loss, extended into some character uh, building for him. I think it helped him not take certain situations for granted, like the talent, you know, it takes more than talent to win was something he would say a lot. And when they, when the Nuggets had Carmelo and Allen Iverson, uh, it became <laughs> kind of a, a theme. It takes more than talent. And that's a lesson he learned because that Sonics team had more talent than that Denver team, but the Denver team had the, at the right time, the, the right amount of mental toughness, and uh, I think he did carry that with him throughout his coaching career. Head coach Dan Issel of the Nuggets, this was the biggest upset in the history of the Denver Nuggets. Uh, he basically said, he says, whenever you put Robert Pack on the floor or something, always exciting happens. Sometimes it's good, <laughs> sometimes it's bad, but today it was terrific. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Pack met with the media right afterwards and said, this definitely has to be the biggest game of my life because no one gave us an ice ball's chance in hell of winning this series. Um, <laughs> you know, Reggie, Reggie Williams, that's why, and that's why we had confidence. We knew we should have one in regulation, but we had this confidence from overtime on Thursday. No question this was, this was the greatest in our team's history. Uh, and an seed being a first seed has never happened before. We're the first. We're part of something really special. 
And it was it's still special, the biggest game in Nuggets history. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, if you fast forward what happened the following season, the, uh, the Nuggets back in the 94-95 season made the playoffs yet again. They finished eighth in the conference. They fell short one game. Uh, and Dan Issel resigned as head coach when the team was 18 and had an 18-16 record, and Bernie Bickerstaff took over. Like I said, still made the playoffs, but lost to the Spurs. Uh, they swept in the first round. Not many changes to the roster, but enough where it was <laughs> it where it was a in effect affected. Your your favorite Robert Pack, Lafonso Ellis, and Reggie Slater all injured throughout the year, and uh, were not able to build on on the momentum the following year. After that series against uh, Seattle, I sort of jumped ahead, but they lost to Utah three to one. I'm oh, sorry, four to one in the yeah. second round. Um, as for Seattle, you know, Seattle went home in the following season. They finished uh, second in the Pacific, fourth, fourth in the conference, and they, they lost the first round to the Los Angeles Lakers 3-1. to one. Not many moves to the roster. They acquired Bill Cartwright. Uh, you know, it's they acquired Serenis Marcellonis, who left the Golden State Warriors. You know, it was a very weird time for Seattle. Two seasons later, after that, they'd make the NBA Finals against the Chicago Bulls, like which we talked about. But the lasting effect was Denver, and which opened the door for a team like the Rockets to make it to the NBA Finals and for Elijah one to take his, uh, his, his spot in NBA history. Yeah, and I, I do remember those the battles because uh, Kemp would try to guard Olajuwon during his prime and Kemp could not hold him. I mean, they had some good battles, but I mean, no one could hold Akeem in his prime, but Kemp, I vividly remember watching those guys go at it and uh, Akeem just owned him, you know, like he owned everybody. Yeah. And and I think the, the lasting effect too is it doesn't matter what seeds you are when you get in, you have a shot once you're in. That's right. Especially, you know, sometimes teams suffer through injuries and, you know, you barely get in, you get guys healthy, anything can happen. But uh, most of the time, the momentum of the regular season, you know, that's why we talk about it because most of the time the team that's supposed to win wins. But when, when they don't, wow. You know, it's, it's one for the ages. Well, we have a little bit of time left here, Bill. So let's let's go over. I put I put five choices. I put five choices up for uh, for next week's show. We, we can decide what we're gonna do on the air. We can uh, we can throw some ideas around, or we can do that here. First, let's tell everybody where they can. And find if we don't do it, people can tweet us and say, "Hey, you promised this story, and you gave us this." <laughs> send, so you have to say, send all your, "Subject send all to your change." Hate mail. Send all your hate mail to me. <laughs> send all your hate mail to me. Um, you can follow. You can follow us on Twitter at backsportspage dot uh, com. I'm sorry, at backsportspage, backsportspage dot com, of course. You can follow me at Randy BSP on Instagram and Twitter, as well as Bill at the Rocket Guy. And uh, all right, so. The On Twitter, I don't know what – Insta what? What what did you say that was? Instagram. Yes, where, where you can oh. put funny pictures of yourself. <laughs> oh. Funny pictures of I yourself. only take pictures of my daughter, not myself, so. 
and she is on Instagram, by the way. My wife puts pictures of her on Instagram. So, but yeah, I don't. I okay. <laughs> social social media is a very weird thing, my friend. A very weird thing. Um, it first is. First topic. Big, <laughs> we're we're gonna put we're gonna put Big Shot Bob back on the survey here on whether we want Robert Ori. Um, Robert Ory back on there. We can do a whole, full hour. I think we could probably do a full three-hour show on Robert Ory. But uh, Big Shot Bob, if we were to talk about Robert Ory, what, what do you think we would talk about talking about the seven-time world champion? Actually, you know, it's funny. I was talking to uh, an executive friend of mine who may be on a podcast with us uh, before too long. He'll remain nameless for now. But NBA executive, uh, very successful on multiple teams. And I mentioned, you know, well, we're coming up. We're probably going to do – Robert Ory, and he's like, oh, man, there's a guy that people just don't talk about enough. And I said, well, yeah, you know, because you people go, Robert Ory, let me look him up. And you go look at his stats, and you're like, eh. But you just – if you didn't live it, <laughs> like if he averaged six points a game, four of those came in the last 15 seconds of any given game. Like you needed a shot, it didn't matter. <laughs> if the ball was in his hand, he could be 0 for 18 – the one at the buzzer was going in. It was just uh, – there's never been a player like him in the league. Yeah, and, and talking about the fact I think he was the only guy – no, not only the only guy. For for a long time I thought he played for all three Texas teams, and I realized he never played for Uri Dallas. So right. that was uh, a, cold, a cold hard fact on mine. Uh, also, I like the fact that his relationship with the – with the San Antonio Spurs, is he wanted to come back, and it was just Pop. Pop didn't want to play him for the two minutes a game right at the end of the game. He didn't want to bench anybody. <laughs> he just didn't he want to go somebody that, that would play the other forty-six minutes too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. The the next uh, the next topic the nineteen ninety nine NBA lockout. Bill, if we were to talk about the nineteen ninety nine NBA lockout, what would we uh, what would that look like? Well, it would be a time where you weren't sure about the future of the NBA. I mean, you had a lot of uh, really logo-esque, like big-time stars who were retiring or you know who or who were older, and there was a lot of talk around the league about what is what is the future of the NBA, and you know is it going to be like less popular than hockey next year? Like how you know to be that bad, and so there was a lot of uh, uncertainty. There was uncertainty about the players who were going to become the spokesmen for the league. There was uncertainty about the financial, um, you know, aspects of the league, the viability, and, you know, fan interest. There were a lot of things. And when they locked out, it was like, wow, you're, you already have a lull in fan interest, and now you've got billionaires fighting with millionaires over money, and fans are just not going to, you know – they're not going to get that. So, you know, that that was really kind of the story that developed around that lockout. The, the next topic, the 2003 NBA Finals between the New Jersey Nets and the San Antonio Spurs. You were there for that one. I was there for that one as well, but just in a different capacity. If we were to break down that final series, what would we be talking about? The matchups. You had stars. Uh, you know, Jason Kidd, Kenyon Martin, uh, among others for New Jersey. And, of course, Tim Duncan was just cutting his teeth on being a, a household name in the league. And so you had legit stars who were battling it out and, you know, very tough 
competitive competitors and competitive games and uh, the there's so many careers uh, for both of those teams that you can dig into. We've already done Tim Duncan, of course, uh, the greatest power forward of all time. But you had a lot of guys on both those teams who had great long careers and uh, who some of them, and I'll again say Kenyon Martin, some who maybe don't get uh, recognition now. And uh, I didn't know him when he played for New Jersey, but I did get to know him quite well in Denver. And that guy had a story. I mean, he was uh, one of those guys that you look at him and you think one thing, and then you get to know him and you think something totally different. Uh, Just one of the great guys to talk to. So your personalities, your star power, that series had it all. Uh, Last week we talked about the 96 draft and how great this draft was. For we're going to go the opposite route for the and what we've, we've, I'm putting on the poll for us for this week the 2000 NBA draft where we just mentioned Kenyon Martin name where Kenyon Martin was the number one pick. If we talk about that yeah. topic, where does that fall? Where, what are we talking about where, with that topic? Well, again, you're digging into uh, the different players, and I have not done any research on that draft, and I don't know it off the top of my head, but. <laughs> Yeah, but let's, uh, let's you know, this way. I, I will tell you, I will tell you the number one pick for that draft was Kenya Martin. That was the year that Mike Miller was the rookie of the year. Oh, yeah. Swift was a high pick. So we're not talking about a very deep draft here. Right. Stromal Swift. He was vividly remember him. He was the guy that you always thought, man, he could really be good. And then he just really wasn't ever. <laughs> uh, but Mike Miller, hell, he's, isn't he still collecting a paycheck, <laughs> Mike Miller? He's still I'm playing sure. somewhere, isn't he? I'm pretty he's sure in he Indi- is. No. And then the, he's in yeah, Utah. Was, Didn't he sign with Utah? No. You're, you're thinking so the guys that were good. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, yep, the the same player, basically. Yeah. No, no, my, yeah, no, Mike. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I was I was totally thinking Kyle Korver. That's absolutely right. Same kind of player, though. Mike Miller could stand outside and all day. I mean, just drain them. And then the uh, final topic, and one that, um, again, he can be a two-hour show, Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade, uh, basically, the heart and soul of the Miami Heat. He took a stand against the Heat. I think think everybody was very surprised that he took a stand against the Miami Heat and said, if you're not going to pay me, I'm going to go elsewhere. And a couple seasons ago, he went to the Chicago Bulls, played uh, a handful of games in Cleveland and finished his career with Miami last year. If we were to talk about Dwayne Wade, what would we talk about? Wow. I mean, you're talking about the guy who was so good that when LeBron James couldn't win a championship on his own, he wanted to go play with Dwayne Wade. And LeBron was the second best player on that team. I mean, I do have a, I have a slight you on Dwayne Wade because the championship he won against the Mavericks, of course, I was courtside for all the games in Dallas, and man, the refs were clearly throwing that series. I mean, they were trying to send a message to Mark Cuban, and it cost 12 players and a coaching staff a lot because Dwayne Wade, I think in the last game, he didn't he average like 35 free throws a game in that series or something crazy? Every time he was anywhere near a Maverick, they'd whistle a foul. And even the Miami <laughs> media sitting around me were like, wow, if he'd have been getting all these calls, we'd have been 82-0. and 0. Uh, But not to take away from the fact that 
really there are only, in my opinion, two shooting guards in the history of the league who have been better than Dwayne Wade, and that's Michael and Kobe. I mean, Dwayne Wade is, you know, he was an incredible talent in his prime. So those are the choices for next week. Um, Bill and I will decide, but I want to give everybody a little bit of a taste on what the topics would be like. I have a feeling that uh, I'll, I'll say it out loud. I'm a little, obviously, I'm a little, little favorable to that Nets Spurs series because it's just a really fun topic because <laughs> there are so many different personalities. Yeah. And the one thing they left, the one, the one they sort of left off on there was David Robinson's last series in the uh, NBA. That's right. Went out yeah, on top. So, and also, As everybody wishes they could do. Also, Steve Kerr's last series as an active player in the NBA, and Tony Parker and Manny Ginobili, the, the the emergence of them as members of the Spurs. So mm-hmm. there's a lot. There was a lot going on in that series. So well, we'll talk. We'll figure out which one we're going to do. But those are the ones that we're discussing. I think, like I said, Dwayne Wade could just be a three-hour show. Yeah. This is his career is that like story. Duncan. I mean, the guys who have been so good for so long. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to sustain a career for that long as a professional athlete, and it's it's hard to be elite for that long. So the the rare guys who do it, they're worth a three hour show. I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah. they're just well. And, and, you you got to give respect where it's due. And it's funny you say that too, Wade. You can't say anything really negative about Wade because he was pretty much a class class act for his career in the league. Totally. So he was, always completely role model. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, what can you say about Big Shot Bob? The biggest winner in NBA history over the last uh, 25 years, seven championships. Yeah. Only Wilt. Well, only thing that would have made him. No, Bill Russell. Bill Russell only, had more. That's it. Only thing that would have yeah. made those seven a little bit better if they were on seven different teams and he had game winners for every single one of them in, in the uh, finals. <laughs> yep. Which hey, he could have done it if if if, they'd, if he'd been on teams that were that good on, in seven different cities, he'd have been the one. Yeah. <laughs> well, with that being said, Bill, another successful show. Uh, it was fun reminiscing going back because I just remember watching that game five, uh, Nuggets versus Seattle thinking there's no way they're going to upset them. And I was like, holy crap, they upset them. Type of mentality. And in, in disbelief. My, uh, it was absolutely, yeah. you know, no team has ever upset. No number eight seed has ever beaten a top seed in the history of the NBA. Uh, and so when you get a chance to witness those moments, even if it's on TV, it's something you remember. And I, I'll always remember that, uh, that Matumbo, you know, just incredible moment in sports. Yeah, it was it was something it was something you never. Um, in fact, I have a like one of those coffee table books where it's a NBA and it comes with a CD where you can listen to the radio calls on it, and that's in there. Oh my gosh! And when you listen to the call, and I, I you know I'll I'll see if I can download the audio and send it over to you because for, for those who great. don't know, obviously Bill and I, Bill Bill's not in the same room with me. He's in Texas. I'm out here in Jersey. I'll see if I can get that audio up, uh, uploaded so I can send it to you and just hear, like, oh, my God, the Nuggets have won it. <laughs> it's, almost like Bob U- it's almost like Bob Euchre from, you know, uh, from Major League. The Indians win it. Oh, my God, the Indians win it. So <laughs> or Tom, Tom Heinsohn. <laughs> McHale from a prone position. You know, and McHale hit the shot from the court. You know. <laughs> 
<laughs> I Good love stuff. it. I haven't heard that in so long. <laughs> All right. <laughs> With that being said, Bill, we'll see you next week. Hoop Talk Fly, we recording on a Friday. It should be up. Uh, archives all available on BackSportsStage.com. Bill, enjoy the rest of the weekend. We will see you next week. And thanks, everybody, for uh, downloading and taking a listen. Absolutely, my friend. Always a pleasure. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.